You're listening to Sport, Digital and Social with Mr. Richard Clark. Hi, Richard Clark here. So I've been pondering creating my own podcast for some time. I made a few in the first wave of the movement many years ago, but never got round to that personal version. What do you call it? What's your angle? How do you prove what's already out there? In the end, I swept all those thoughts aside and decided to just concentrate on the stuff that I enjoy, sport, digital, and social media. So expect my interviewees to be players, coaches, as well as those who create stories around them. First up is Chachu Sichadong, CEO, chairman, and founder of One Championship, a martial arts competition based in Asia. This event has enjoyed incredible growth since it started in 2011. But as Chaki points out, it's based on Asian value. His idea is to create the first multi-billion dollar Asian sports franchise. This is not MMA. This is not UFC. A character like Conor McGregor would not be welcome, he argues. He's about creating a different type of athlete, telling a different type of story. Got a pretty good story himself, by the way. Take a listen. Tatu, just just give me the two-minute history, I suppose, of the One Championship, because you're relatively new, but you made a big noise. Sure. I launched One Championship in 2011, so about six years ago, with a very simple idea that every region of the world has several multi-billion dollar sports media properties, except for Asia. So if you go to North America, NFL, uh, NBA, Major League Baseball, you go to Europe, uh, English Premier League, F1, Champions League, etc., and you come to Asia, there's literally nothing on a pan-Asian basis. Uh, there's IPL, a multi-billion dollar property there, but just India only. So I wanted to create Asia's first multi-billion dollar sports media property that was truly pan-Asian, that celebrates Asia's greatest cultural treasure, martial arts, and the values of integrity, humility, honor, courage, strength, discipline, the Asian values. So that was what I wanted to is celebrate our history, our culture and our values. You're the founder. How much has the One Championship and its path, how much has it been shaped by your backstory? Because I've been reading up on Mm -hmm. that and it is an incredible Mm -hmm. backstory that you've Mm -hmm. had, where you've had riches, you've had poverty, you've had education in America, you've had to rebuild yourself a number of times. Right. Well, I think, you know, the, the, um, the ethos of One Championship or of the mission, since day one, our mission has been to unleash superheroes, real life superheroes, who ignite the world with courage, hope, strength, and dreams. And people don't realize that the vast majority of martial artists in Asia come from very humble backgrounds, oftentimes tragedy, adversity, poverty. And for them to become world champions, you know, those life stories are absolutely inspiring. To the extent that my life story as a martial artist and as a human being mirrors some of their stuff, but nowhere near as, as uh, extreme, I would say, of our, of our world champions. I think it's not a coincidence. I think it is part of the DNA of one championship is to go out there and inspire people. So that's why for me, I'm very active on social media because I know that my life story can inspire you know millions of people, um, not to be me, but just to learn that when things are down and out, there's always a way if there's a will. And yeah, I mean, I, I hope to help the world in the same way that one champion hopes to help the world. It's interesting you talk about superheroes because you've you used that term before. 
And what I'm particularly interested in is the way that stories work for you. You use the word superheroes. In other talks, you just used it there. Right. Really utilize the power of stories, right. which is always very good in all right. combat sports, right. but particularly with one championship, right. where they're coming from, the poverty, the, the fighting right. spirit, that it's all or nothing. How do you use those stories in yeah, particular? So, so I would say how we differ from every other major combat sports organization in the entire world is that 99.9% of them focus on promoting the fight and our western counterparts typically promote aggression violence blood sport hatred disrespect controversy negative energy in order to sell the fights we don't even focus on the fight our whole dna is about unearthing the unearthing these incredible life stories that can touch humanity and it's not about fighting it's about the fighting spirit it's about conquering adversity. I view very much central to one championship and everything we do is storytelling, without a doubt. Storytelling, these inspiring, against all odds stories, that's really what we are. So if you think about it on a larger scale, you know, I would say our counterparts are fight promotions. We are a humanity promotion. <laughs> And one of your core tenets is about improvement of the self, improvement of society. Does that make you particularly resonant with the younger generations in mm -hmm. society today? Because we're told that they want more meaning in their work, right. more meaning in right. their social life, more meaning in their sport. Right. Well, I, I think it's no accident that one championship, even though I didn't plan it, a byproduct of it is that our audience is 80% millennials and 71% collegiate graduates. So we've really struck a chord in Asia, and you know, not only because we celebrate Asia's greatest cultural treasure, but because we celebrate Asian values, and we do it in a way that spreads positive energy throughout the continent. I think that message resonates very deeply, old or young, you know, rich or poor, because it's about inspiration, it's about the human potential, it's about the human spirit. And I think, you know, the younger generation is attracted to us in that regard, but also they're attracted because I think the older generation of sports, if you will, soccer, basketball, etc., that's long form content. In, in other words, my generation or my parents' generation, we'd sit in front of the TV and watch a basketball game for four quarters or a soccer game for 90 minutes. But the younger generation, they consume all their media on mobile devices. So they have no patience. They're not going to sit there for a four quarter basketball game. They're not going to sit there for a full soccer game. They are there for two, three minute bite-sized, short form, exciting content. And we are very fortunate in that 80% of our matches end you know, in a few minutes. Our live events are literally tailor-made for the mobile device, for iPad, for iPhone, for Android. And I think that is a, I would say we got lucky. It was an accident. We didn't see the mobile revolution coming this fast, this strong. Make no mistake today, One Championship is a digital first, mobile first platform. But looking at your stats as well, incredible really. Social media impressions have gone through the roof. 23X between 2014 and 2017 right. is 8.3 billion. But the more interesting one is the, is the social media video views. Right. So how are you balancing that? Because you're, you're on cable, you're on free to air TV right. Right. as well. You've also got uh, social media video, <laughs> right. that's a fundamental issue for every sport. How right. are you doing? We take a content ubiquity approach, and I say this word 
you know, every week in, in, at One Championship that our strategy is content ubiquity. We have content that resonates very deeply, we know that, across Asia. So we want to be on every single platform possible, device agnostic, platform agnostic, free to air, pay TV, social, mobile, digital. We want it all and we want to be on third party platforms as well. So whether it's an Amazon or YouTube or, or uh, Alibaba, the guys are starting to stream live sports. And the idea being that as a media property, hardest part of being a media property is being a hit, i.e. massive ratings and massive social media metrics. We are lucky in that that's been easy for us. I wouldn't say easy, it's been a, it's been a hard, hard work, but those numbers, as you said, I never could have predicted that level of growth. I mean, it, it probably makes us the fastest growing sports media property in the world today in terms of growth rate. And I didn't anticipate that, but I think it's a reflection of the fact that we took a content ubiquity approach early on, that we took a device agnostic approach. Rather than view ourselves as a free-to-air player or a paid player or you know mobile, social, we said, we have amazing content. Let's be accessible 24-7, 365. And it's played off, and I think those are just the very beginning of our growth rates, actually. I think these numbers, next year just going to be you know multiples of what they are today the other stat that you publicized recently that caught my attention was the peak tv ratings share right. as well right and um, that must be very pleasing to be from one to one to two percent in 2014 to 11 to 36 percent depending right. on the territory right 2017 <coughs> but that's peak tv ratings and that's right. that is a massive sweet spot right. isn't it yeah i mean that's also been a a, a very a big surprise to all of us even the broadcasters. Three years ago when we were getting the one to two percent, the broadcasters were experimenting by giving us one hour a month of content, right, on air. It's hard to build traction. Today, our hours are a minimum of 100 hours a year to as high as 2,800 hours a year, depending on, on, on broadcaster. And now, because of broadcasters across Asia are giving us prime time and near prime and significant hours at frequency, meaning weekly or daily even, um, and at scale, I think all that feeds on each other. The fact, again, we go back, rewind everything. We've got exciting content that resonates with the fans. And the more someone shows it, the more economies of scale, economies of network effect occur. Uh, and now we're at that point where everyone in Asia is showing it on a regular, frequent basis. There's massive fan engagement. Yeah, I mean, of course, those TV ratings shared are, are eye-popping, staggering. I think they've broken records in Asia. No sports media probably has ever done pulled those kind of numbers ever. If you just look at what does EPL, NBA, F1, Champions League, what kind of numbers do they pull? A great, great TV range for them is 6%. That's a great rating. And ours is 36%. So it's just orders of magnitude. And these are, remember, these sports leagues have been in Asia for decades. F1, Champions League, EPL. And that's why it's been, it's a little bit mind-boggling for me that we've surpassed those sports leagues and by multiples. It's not like it was close. It was just we've blown them away. I just want to get back to the storytelling for a second. And one guy I want to talk about is Ang Lan Sang. When you chose him, obviously he's a great fighter, he's a world champion, that's right. kind of a given. But he does have an incredible backstory. Right. And did that make him more attractive and compel you to sign him? Right. So when we look at athletes, we look at on three levels of equal weighting. So the first we look at is their human characteristics. 
forget about being an athlete. We just look at them. Is that a human being that we know can be a superhero and inspire young kids, millions of kids all over the world because of their values? So that's one bucket. The second bucket of equal importance is their athletic abilities and their athletic skills and their gameness and their ability to become a world champion in any modern or their current credentials of being a world champion. So that's the, the athletic aspect. And the third is we look at their marketability. So the third bucket of equal importance, again, one third, one third, one third, marketability is you know their personality, their backstory, their looks, their, their do they resonate with the fans. We look carefully at those three items when we sign uh, athletes. Of course, they're the best in the world, but just because you're the best in the world does not mean you, you're guaranteed a slot in one championship. You have to be the best in the world, plus you have to have these different attributes. And just tell us about him because he made this incredible speech right. when he won the title, right? right? And right. became a hero in Myanmar. Right. Yeah, I mean, he is by far the biggest sporting hero in the history of Myanmar, uh, by far, not even close. And, you know, Myanmar has a very unique history in that it was a closed economy, closed society from the world uh, until about seven years ago. And so they've never participated, to my knowledge, in any international competition like Olympics, whatever it is. And so when Angla came, he was a refugee who left uh, Myanmar when he was 14 years old and emigrated to America and never thought he was going to go back. And of course, he loves martial arts and train. And then we found him. We did think there was an opportunity to, to, to have him back in Myanmar. We spoke with the Myanmar government and smoothed everything out. And they thought it was a good idea. And he came and, you know, I didn't know he was going to win the world title. I just thought it would be great to have a, an athlete from Myanmar. And he was a 10 to 1 underdog when he won the title against the undefeated Russian, uh, Vitaly Big Dash. And it was an incredible, incredible victory because just six months earlier, five months earlier, he'd lost to Vitaly. So the odds were stacked against him. But the unique and special thing that one championship has is that we have local heroes on the global stage who inspire nations, who celebrate Asian values. And I think that is a very special formula that we have. It's not about fighting or violence or trying to separate people. It's about unifying people. And now we have 54 million fans in Myanmar who absolutely are crazy about Angla and crazy about one championship. And he's humble, he's kind, he's gentle. And when he won the world title, he gave a speech and it was live on free-to-air TV across the nation. And the, you know the TV ratings were 36%, so that means literally Everyone was watching because 36% means, you know, one in three households, sorry, one in three people were watching and each household will have, you know, three or four people in the, in the house. You know, just know that the actual viewership was probably 90%, the entire country is watching. And he said something that was unscripted and he literally just said, you know, I'm not talented, I'm not fast, I'm not strong, but with you, Myanmar, I have courage, I have strength, I have respect. Together we're world champion. Our social media went ballistic. He's just crazy. We put a, a video out of him uh, about half an hour later and almost instantaneously he's had 80,000 shares, 3 million views on social media. It's just crazy. Um, and a star was born. I think that shows the power of what One Championship is doing. We have a mission of celebrating heroes, creating heroes, celebrating values, positive energy, nothing to do with negativity. And I think that has resonated very, very deeply. You know, in a world where, unfortunately, the internet has become a treasure trove of negative energy, right? Of people bashing people on Twitter or Facebook or whatever it is, 
people complaining about their lives, whatever. There's just so much negative energy. I wanted, and I still want, to be a source of happiness and positive energy and inspiration for the world. Because you came out recently and said Conor McGregor would not be signed by you, if, even if he became available, because of that negative energy that he portrays. Right. right. Just expand right. On, on, right. on the way you feel right. about that. Uh, CNN had asked me that question unprompted, you know, out of the blue. They said, they asked me, did you sign Conor McGregor? And, you know, I hadn't even thought about that either because he's not a free agent. But when I thought about it, uh, you know, my instincts, said, yeah, we would definitely not sign him. He represents everything that we're not. He represents, you know, arrogance. He re represents hatred, negativity, use racial epithets against minorities. He's um, called people's wives and mothers out, children. I mean, it's just, in my mind, a very disrespectful, despicable, just unacceptable behavior. And that's not martial arts. You see, that's the thing. That's not martial arts. One championship is a celebration of Asia's greatest cultural treasure, martial arts. The thing that our Western counterparts are missing is that they showcase and for, uh, portray the physical violence with all the negative stuff. But that's not martial arts. They coined the word MMA. I, I don't use that word MMA. MMA for me is a bad word because of, of, of what the West has created and, 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 and what they've made that word to become. Asia, it's martial arts. It's about integrity. It's about humility, respect, honor, courage, strength, discipline. That's what martial arts teaches you. Through myself, I've been doing it for over 30 years. I can guarantee you the thousands of hours that I've done my training with my masters, my teammates, my training partners, that has made me more humble. That has given me more integrity. That's given me more courage, more uh, warrior spirit. That has given me discipline in life, work ethic. And these are the things that I, is real martial arts. Martial arts is not what, what you know, our Western counterparts portray. But that is the way in the West sport is sold. Football, it, it's not as quite as bad as what McGregor talks about, but it's, it's still very combative, dismissive, disrespectful at, at times. It's, a, it's the way that sport sells itself. You're trying to uh, plough a different furrow, but it resonates obviously in, right. in Asia. Will it resonate in the West? Should you want to expand there? For me, the, the number one priority is Asia because there's 4.4 billion people here. So the market opportunity is massive. I mean, absolutely massive. If you think about NFL, which is the world's largest sports league in terms of revenues, at 13 billion, they're getting it from 300, a population of 350 million people. Um, now, granted, GDP per capita is higher in America than it is in Asia, but a Asia has 4.4 billion people. Uh, you know, literally 12x that of, of, of uh, the US. So, uh, first things first. <laughs> right, right. But, uh, but, but, but I, I feel that the rising GDP per capita in Asia, coupled with the fact that our, you know, our population mass is 12 to 13 times bigger than the U.S., there's no reason why one championship can't uh, rival that of NFL. How do you differ and change your story for different markets? Because... Indonesia's got one culture, Korea's got another culture, Singapore's got another culture. Do you tailor your story? In yeah, yeah ways? No, 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 for sure. We don't tailor the story or the marketing. Uh, that is our in, in our DNA and our atheism. I mean, like I said, our mission is to unleash superheroes who ignite the world with hope, strength, dreams, and courage. But that doesn't change. But what changes is our the nuances of how we operate in the country we want to be respectful of the government. We want to be respectful of customs, of the values, of the religion. 
you go to Malaysia, it's a Muslim country. You go to Thailand, it's a Buddhist country. Knowing how to operate in those environments makes a very, very big difference in terms of how the fans gravitate towards you. And I think that's a big mistake that a lot of Western properties have made is they think that they can come in with just their formula and that it'll work. Our counterparts in the West, you know, the world has effectively become a global duopoly. UFC dominating the Western Hemisphere with its brand of quote-unquote MMA. And we dominate the Eastern Hemisphere with our brand of martial arts, authentic martial arts from Asia. And they are 180 degrees diametrically opposed and different and opposite from each other. And I think, to answer your question, do we, do we localize? Yes, we do localize, but we don't change the underlying mission or the DNA of the company for it. Does Asia treat its heroes differently to the West? I'm thinking Manny Pacquiao, yeah, for example. Most definitely, most definitely. I mean, if, if you look at who the biggest movie heroes are, okay, or the biggest athletic heroes, they are always the best at what they do, but what's very interesting about all of them, if you look at the commonalities, they're actually all humble, they're gentle, they're kind, they're sympathetic, empathetic people, compassionate, and that's what I'm saying is very, very different than uh, Western heroes, okay? Like Conor McGregor is a great example, like he is a Western hero. Now, I'm not saying it's all Western love him, but he is a hero. And he has none of those attributes, right? That's why I don't think he could ever be a hero here. You know, he'd probably get thrown in jail by, you know, half the governments here for the way he behaves. No, genuinely, I think he would be thrown in prison. Uh, for some of the stuff he says, if you went into the wrong country, right? And, and you say that to, to, to a local hero, for example, you could be in big trouble. How have you diversified one championship? Because you've, you've got uh, protein drinks and you've got the Evolve Academy as well. So just talk about the, so the, the other no, the, parts of the business. That Evolve is actually separate from one championship. So those are totally separate. Uh, one championship is standalone. We are sports media property, just the same as NFL. We're launching our merchandise, online merchandise store uh, in Q4 of this year for the first time and there are multiple revenue streams in that it's media rights it's advertising sponsorship it's um, ticketing it's it's uh, brand licensing uh, so video games protein drinks etc down the road I believe there's gonna be a lot of ways to expand the universe for one championship in our brand because our brand represents something that's a very positive force in nature, but also it represents world champions and their best, and the core values of, you know, as I mentioned, uh, integrity, humility, respect, and discipline, and courage. So I can envision the One Championship brand being attached, attached to many things, not just martial arts. How close is profitability? You're not quite in profitability yet. Like all startups, you know, we are still in the venture capital growth equity mode, and like all the top startups around the world in Silicon Valley or in Asia, the most important thing is uh, increasing your reach and your engagement. Reach being how many people are you touching um, or actually how many people are consuming your content and engagement being how frequently and how deeply are they engaging with your content. And those are the two most important metrics that you need in order to become truly a multi-billion dollar property. So we're much, we're, that's what we're focused on as opposed to purely financial metrics, which would sometimes be in conflict with those other two metrics. Now, of course, when you achieve those metrics, those two key things at scale, those two variables at scale, 
by definition, you'll have a multi-billion dollar profitable enterprise. 2018 is expansion into different territories. Right. So just talk about the strategy, where you're going, what sure. you're doing. Sure, uh, we're throwing 24 events uh, next year. In our core markets, we have a density first approach, meaning that we've increased the number of events in country. So in Thailand, it's four events versus last year was one. And we're doing the same thing for Indonesia and all the other, other key and the Philippines and whatnot. Um, and we're also expanding into new territory, whether it's new cities in China or whether it is Japan or Korea. And I think next year will be the year that we can say we're truly Pan-Asian, throwing live events all over in major, all the major iconic cities of Asia, while also having a live broadcast to 128 countries with significant broadcast hours every day or every week, depending on the country, throughout the year. So you know, that, that's now, we're talking at scale. So Korea and Japan are the, probably the, the big two there that you're yeah, going into. Right. So talk about what you're specifically doing there. How's that, how's that gonna work? How are you gonna talk to that market in particular? Right, so, so it's no different than any of our other markets. Uh, we've always you know, entered every country with the fundamental principle of harmony. Asian value of harmony. We want to make sure that we're harmonious with the local culture, the government, the sporting associations, the fans, the business community, the broadcast community. It's about harmony. So it's no different in those countries. We want to make sure that entrance is, is harmonious with everybody that we deal with. Obviously, for a layman such as myself, UFC is a, a comparison. How, how do you view the similarities and the differences between the two entities? Obviously, we've talked about mm -hmm. the culture right. being different. What else? And, the, and is it a comparison you not so much enjoy, but accept? Yeah. Um, no, I, I actually don't like it. I mean, uh, a lot of journalists always ask me that question. And I don't necessarily like it because I don't feel like we fall into that genre of quote-unquote MMA. That's an American word made up by an American organization. We are an Asian organization celebrating Asia's greatest cultural treasure, martial arts, and all the deep-rooted Asian values. So just by its DNA, our ethos, and our mission statement are completely 180 degrees different from their approach versus our approach, right? And I would say our organizations are also very different. So if you look at the people who are in those organizations, UFC is predominantly a, uh, an American organization with American employees. One Champion is, I would say, United Nations. We have employees from you know, all over the world, literally. Uh, Singapore, China, Korea, you know, Thailand, uh, you name it. It's just every country. So I think that makes us a more culturally sensitive organization just because we, we, we celebrate so many different cultures, so many different religions in-house, so we, we have a good understanding of, of every country we work with. I think both organizations have phenomenal athletes, so I don't think any organization, the best of the West and the best of the East is how I would put it. And of course, UFC has a longer history, they have 25-year, 26-year history. Other than that, you know, I think we're the only two giants in the combat sports world, right? So. That pretty much sums it. I would say it's very much like Apple and Samsung or you know, Alibaba and Amazon. There's a Western version and there's an Eastern version. From reading around, there's already been calls for crossover fights. Mm -hmm. The one championship 
champion versus UFC champion. Right. Are you open-minded to that type of thing? Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, one of their vice presidents came into Asia in a very condescending manner. He's an American guy and came to the press and said, you know, how Asians are, you know, below in level and it's not true. So I said, if you really believe that your champions are better than ours, then let's put them together. So I'm very open to it. I was going to talk about that because how much of what you've done has been a search for respect for the culture that you represent right. and for the origins that you've had as a person and obviously the sport that you love? I feel that we've had to fight the negative brand image of the word MMA and the negative brand image of UFC in order for us to be truly distinguished. People, that's what I said, one of the most frustrating things when people confuse the two brands or ask me about them, it's like, it's just incomparable. Like you can't compare the two organizations on any level. It's frustrating, but I think over time, I mean, clearly our metrics are showing that, you know, our brand, at least in Asia, our, our approach, our DNA, our ethos, our mission, Every metric, we're far and above UFC's metrics. So they're clearly saying something, right? The Asians are, are voting with their feet. Let's talk about Angela Lee. Yep. Um, are you in any way surprised that you've had as popular female fighter as that? I would say it was deliberate, you know? When I first met Angela, you know, because of my own martial arts background, I knew she was, and I, I watched her come train, here in Singapore, and I watched her, and I, and I knew she was something special as an athlete. And as I got to know her and her family, it was very clear to me that they were special human beings as well. So going back to those three buckets I talked about, um, that's when you really said, okay, she has all the right elements. Let's make a bet with our marketing dollars that she should be the face, and I made the decision, and that's why she's the face of one championship. And I think it's a combination of her talent, of her human character, of her qual of her, of her values, and, and her marketability. That combined with our marketing platform slash media platform slash storytelling platform, that combination is what catapulted her into global superstar. Which platforms have worked particularly well for you? Facebook has been our most, I'd say, viral platform. But we are now, for the first time, reaching out and going to other platforms as well, experimenting with YouTube and Instagram and Twitter. But our primary focus has been, especially the last four years on Facebook. It's interesting because Instagram's just popped so much. And in my experience in Asia, in Asian soccer, it's far and above anything else in terms of engagement. Have you? A targeted Instagram? Are you looking to target Instagram? Yeah, we, 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 we're starting to. We have not spent a lot of time on Instagram, to be frank. I think we only have, uh, I mean, we have 5 million fans on Facebook and 210,000 on Instagram. So that is a function of, of where we put our efforts in terms of content. So I think now that we're, we've, we're focused more on, on Instagram in the last couple of weeks we decided we'd make a big push on Instagram so I think you'll see those numbers increase dramatically as well. How big is your content team and where are they based? We have offices now in uh, Singapore, Bangkok, Shanghai, Beijing, Bangalore, Manila. 
we're opening Jakarta, Tokyo imminently. And each of those locations has sales organization, marketing and video editing, etc. So we're adding literally every every week to that team. It's the usual mix of social video editors. Right, right. So I I've you know, we've been fortunate that I've the great opportunity or the blessing of working with some of the best and brightest minds from the, around the world. When I started One Championship, I just recruited the very best people, not in, not in Singapore, not in Asia, but in the world. So our executive producer comes from the US with a background in you know, NFL, NHL, etc., NASCAR, and then our head of marketing comes from Red Bull US Global, uh, running the global marketing, social media. So we had the best and the brightest from around the world move to Singapore, live here, to chase this dream of creating Asia's first multi-billion dollar sports media property. And just to talk about your background for a second, I've been reading up on your story yeah. and it is, it is an incredible story. Do it in a nutshell, I'm sure you, you talk about it a lot. But... Sure. I often wonder what would have happened to my life if I never knew martial arts or if I didn't have the love and support and belief from my mother. At the lowest point in my life, I was living on $4 a day, eating one meal a day, and I had one suitcase that contained everything I owned in the world. And my parents, unfortunately, went bankrupt and homeless and penniless for the Asian financial crisis, and my father eventually abandoned the family. So things were very, very bleak at the bottom. But my mom, she really believed in me, and, and she pushed me as the oldest son to fly to Harvard and, and eventually attend Harvard, even though we didn't have any funds for school fees or living expenses. I think the combination of that, my mother's love, and the fact that I was a martial artist at heart with thousands of hours of training my warrior spirit to go and conquer adversity. I think those two factors enabled me to pull my family and myself out of poverty. And so I always say, you know, like I, I feel very blessed that I experienced extreme poverty and extreme wealth. And I kind of have this dual perspective and I kind of understand more clearly what my role in life is as a result. And that's why I'm very focused on doing good in the world and creating positive energy and celebrating values and our greatest cultural treasure and doing something that can impact billions of people in a positive way. You know, when people put up posters of our heroes in their bedrooms, millions of children all over Asia, I want those heroes to live our values, to, to exemplify our values rather. You know, integrity, humility, honor, courage, discipline, strength. And I think about that very deeply. What my responsibility is as the head of Asia's largest sports media property. I want to inspire millions of kids to do good, be good, so the future of Asia is better than it is today, right? So I think very deeply about, to me, money is a byproduct of doing everything well and inspiring the world. I know that's kind of perverse, but that's how I think. And I think other organizations around the world, money and profitability is first. They could care less who their hero is in terms of, as long as he brings in the, he or she brings in the dollars. But it, even if he or she behaves a certain way, they'll support it. And that to me, whether it's steroids or cocaine or respectful behavior towards people's wives and mothers, you just gotta think about what is the impact on society, the future society, and kids, millions of kids who see that and mimic, want to mimic that, right? I think very, very deeply about all of this stuff, you know? And your story 
supports that because you went from Harvard to Wall Street, right. hedge funds, made right. millions, right. and then got out. And the story that you told is because it lacked meaning. Right. It lacked right. happiness. Right, right, for sure. So, so, you know, when I was dirt poor, I thought that money, I naively I thought that money was the answer to everything because I left Thailand in poverty, shame, and embarrassment of my family background and saw my mother suffer immensely. And I thought that if I could end my mother's suffering and my younger brother's suffering, and you know, if I just made enough money, I would end all that suffering. But what I realized was, once I had become independently wealthy, I realized that the chase for wealth and material things and buying more cars or houses, that in itself was very vapid and very empty. So, you know, if I'm 80 years old and I have 50 houses and 100 cars, and billions of dollars in the bank account, does that really mean I led a good life? That I really did something in my life? And I thought to myself, no, it's not. If I had the chance to impact billions of lives and know that through my own time here on Earth that I helped many, many people, whether it's through inspiration directly or whether it's through people working directly in my companies or fans who are inspired to be even greater than they, what they were before. And I know not, it's not about martial arts, it's about, again, it's about humanity then I feel at 80 years old, my life was well worth lived, that somehow my small way, I made the world better off than how I found it. And so that is my big, big driver in life. Money is a byproduct. So where does this all end up? Where does it, where, where does it ultimately go? Obviously, you've got plans, you've got targets. You, it's a very grand vision right. that you've right. got. Right. You know, how will you judge whether you've been successful? Is it that social aspect in the end? Yeah, you know, um, I won't rest until uh, the world or whoever says the top three leagues in the whole world, top sports media properties, NFL in the US, EPL in Europe, and one in, in Asia. I won't rest until we have 4.4 billion fans. I won't rest until we are truly ubiquitous part of everyday life across the continent. I won't stop, you know, I, I, I will probably work at one championship for the rest of my life. Even like on my deathbed, I'll be working because of what it means to me and because of the impact I know I'm, I'm making on the world. That is for me priceless. That's a good place to end it. That's a good place to end it. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Sport, Digital, and Social with Mr. Richard Clark. Rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. You can find Richard on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram by searching for at Mr. Richard Clark or at his website, mrrichardclark.com.